0: Well, good morning, everyone. How you doing? Man, I wouldn't have stood over there like a like a dummy if I would have known he would have talked so long about, <laughs> about me. Um, man, thanks so much. Well, you didn't decide, but thanks for having me up here. Um, they'll, apparently, they'll let anybody up here. Um, but here I am. And man, this is way outside of my comfort zone, just so you know. I don't mind speaking. I don't mind uh, singing. But I don't have a metronome in my ear to tell me to stay on, on, you know, on tempo, or I don't have a relative key to sing in. So I kind of tend to get a little distracted. So pray for me. I have ADD. I have like long form ADD. Like if I'm speaking long form, I adopt ADD. I'll go down a rabbit hole for no reason. Be like, what are we talking about again? You know? So uh, pray for me this morning uh, as we open the word together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 14 today. But before We jump straight into john chapter 14 i want to just update you a little bit on where we are um, on week three of a series we're calling identity right some of you don't even know that we're in a series that's what this logo is a series this just means we're topical preaching here okay when we were planning through uh what we were going to talk about and in in terms of identity um, I was sitting with Pastor James and I thought, surely, I thought, man, we're going to talk about our identity as, as, um, as maybe husbands or wives or maybe our identity in our friendship, our identity as believers. Um, and, then, and then sure enough, we were sitting down in, in Pastor James's office and he says, I'm going to talk about how God is holy this weekend. I thought, wait a second, what? I thought we were talking about us. That's what the fingerprints there for, I thought, right? But the reality is you can't really talk about who you are if you don't first establish your creator, which is God. So he started in week one and he said, we're gonna talk about the holiness of God. Being that the holiness of God, God is completely set apart. He's completely other than, right? There is a reality that exists 24-7, 365, where there is a God in heaven seated on a throne and there are angels and elders surrounding him, singing holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty, casting their crowns down at his feet and worshiping him all the time because he is holy. He's completely other than, right? And out of that place, that existence, every other aspect of his character can flow, his love. He loves unlike anybody else because he's totally different than anybody else. His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, it's completely different than anybody else. Because why? Because he is different than anybody else. And in a day and age where, um, it might be even a thought crime to say this, there is a God and you are not him. And he and he is holy, and it's not your truth, and it's not your reality. There, there is a God who created all that, and we live inside of it. Does that make sense? And that, so that, so that was week one. We talked about the holiness of God. And then last week I was out. I was sick last week. Um, two weeks ago in church, felt like we worship was just amazing. And then I left, and I took a nap, and had a fever, and then I was sick. Boom. I guess maybe God didn't like it. I'm just kidding, that's not theologically correct. Uh, week, week two, week two we talked about, uh, last week we talked about how God is generous, which is what Pastor James just kind of recapped, right? That God is good and he is generous and he's kind, but also that God is a father and he's a generous, very kind father. I, um, I did an internship up in Kansas City right after high school with the International House of Prayer. I call it that instead of IHOP because when you think IHOP, you think pancakes. But they actually use that name, IHOP. So God, I guess, you know, help them out. International House of Prayer. But when I was up there, I read a book called The Existence and Attributes of God. It was by a 17th century um, Puritan theologian. And uh, someone told me when I got there, like, man, you should get this book called The Existence and Attributes of God. So I ordered it and I thought, eh, surely it's gonna be great. This book was like this thick, dude. I went, I went to Fletcher High School. Like, I didn't even, I, don't, I didn't study for an exam once in my life. And you think that's a joke? I didn't study one time. I got A's and B's. Well, that was great. But anyway, Steve, I read his book, and it was hard to understand. But I, but there's uh, Stephen Charnock. He 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 talks a lot about the goodness and the generosity of God. And he he writes that God is the original good and is good Himself. He relies on no one else to source His goodness, but rather all things that are good are a stream from His divine spring of goodness which I love that language. He also writes that God is infinitely good, meaning he is forever good. He always has been good. And he is the reason that other things can be good because he is the source of goodness. Does that make sense? So we talked about that. We talked about his goodness. He is a good, generous, kind father. That leads us to today. where We're gonna talk about Jesus, the identity of God in Jesus. And it's like, yeah, no pressure. You're just talking about Jesus, right? And again, I already told you this is outside of my comfort zone. So what I'm about to do here is I'm about to pray that God would speak through his word, not through me, but through his word, right? Because I can't reveal anything new to you about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit can. And he is the ultimate communicator in, in church this morning. So let's pray real quick. And we're going to jump in and talk about the person of Jesus and the identity of God. God, we, we thank you. We thank you that we can be in your house, God. We thank you that because we live in a place like this, we can worship freely I thank you for your people that have gathered here today, God. Would you bless them? Open our hearts, God. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in the room. Mm. We thank you for your word that is living and active. We thank you for Jesus and that we have life, abundant life through him. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about Jesus today, all right? In my ninth grade Bible class that I love teaching if you send your kids here in their ninth grade, I apologize, they're in my Bible class. Um, we're talking about the doctrines of God. And they, they would know that if we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about the doctrine of Jesus, that's called Christology. So this is our Christology lesson, right? Christ being Jesus Christ. It's not his last name, it's like Jesus the Christ, right? Christ in the ology, the study of Christology. I thought you guys would get that, I guess you didn't. Um, but to be honest we can't just talk about christology first we actually have to go back a little bit we have to talk about the trinity first is anybody familiar with the term the trinity if you've been in church for a while you've probably heard this term the trinity the reason we have to talk about that is because we can't just say we can't make this radical claim that god is fully god in the person of jesus and jesus is still fully man without saying wait a sec that means god actually reveals himself in in, in many different ways to us as his creation that's called the trinity God exists in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the Trinity is is nowhere. That word is nowhere in this book. It's 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 not like we read oh oh and you know the Trinity oh yeah God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit no. Tertullian, the early church father, who coined the term Trinity, he would read through the book, I would imagine, like we do now, and he would be in Genesis chapter one, way early in the beginning, where it said the spirit hovers across the face of the waters. Have you guys heard that verse? We, we, we sing that song, Rest on Us, and that's the first lyric, as the spirit was moving over the waters, right? That's, that's from the Bible, right? There's the spirit, but then there's God, and God is speaking and he's creating, but actually what we read later in the New Testament is that when he's speaking and creating, that the active agent in creation is actually Jesus. That it says that all things were made through him, through Jesus, and he is before all things. If you've heard any of that scripture, so it kind of makes you wonder, wait a sec, God is revealing himself in many different ways, which is where we come to this term called the Trinity, right? God is three in one, and they're all co-equal. The Father is equal with the Son, the Son is equal with the Spirit, and the Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. They're all co-equal. They're all co-eternal. They've all existed together all at the same time. And here's, I think, I think when we talk about uh, the Trinity, we kind of get into some trouble because we we try to like create these analogies to sort of understand kind of what the Trinity is. Have you guys have you guys maybe heard any any uh, analogies like like maybe the uh, the Trinity is like water, like it's like ice, it's like vapor or it's like um, liquid. Have you heard that before? Anyone? It's actually like as much as I love that we're trying to um, really make it um, easy to swallow. If we, if we use analogies like this, talking about the Trinity, it, God actually, it can't really be water because if you're ice, you're not liquid, right? And if you're, if you're vapor, you're not ice, right? That, that, it's actually an ancient heresy called modalism which is that God reveals himself in three different modes, right? Like the water that we kind of have to say, okay, well, it's not that, right? That's not the reality of the Trinity. Another one that you might hear often is is something called Arianism, which is like the Trinity is like a star. It's like the sun per se, like our sun, S-O-N, not S, oh no, S-U-N, not S-O-N, right? The sun in the sky. Are you, are you with me? Yeah. Right? The sun in the sky, that, 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 that God the Father is like the star. He's like the sun and heat and light that come from the star are Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's called Arianism, right? Because that would make the claim that the, that the sun and the spirit are merely byproducts from the star and they're not. They're all co-equal and co-eternal. My son, Mac, when we were living in Costa Rica, I think some of you knew we lived in Costa Rica for a little bit um, and then we had to come back during COVID and it was a whole crazy thing. Uh, he, he, he came out of a class one day, we were, in, we were in language school and it was a Christian language school in the mountains of San Jose, it was absolutely amazing, it was beautiful, Um, and he came, he came out of class one day, he's just like a little baby, and they had, did this, they had, you know, they did this craft, where he had to color the sun, and then he like, color it for him, well, it was about the trinity, and I did not have it in me to tell, like, dude, this, the the trinity is not, is not this, the sun, the heat, the light, right, but I mean, he's what, how, Coates, how how old is Max, six months old, maybe, I'm not gonna, (laughs) I'm not gonna, we're not gonna get into theology. The last one I kinda wanna, de- <laughs> the last one I just kinda wanna debunk, and, 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 I, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this, is, uh, have you ever heard that the trinity is like a three leaf clover? You ever heard that? Yeah. Um, who's that guy? St. Patrick from, from Ireland. The problem with the three leaf clover is that, they, yeah, they share a stem, and yeah, you got three leaves, but they're all different leaves. Right. Leaves. Again, I went to Fletcher. Three <laughs> leaves, right? The leaf over here on the right can't be the leaf over here on the left. And the leaf in the middle is neither of the leaves in between and all they share is a stem, it's partialism, right? We have to understand that it's really, okay, it's really hard to apply an analogy to the personhood of the Trinity. And I just wanna make this claim before we get into the scripture, it is a divine mystery, simply put, that we cannot fully understand. But God exists in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are equal. Okay, so now we're ready to jump in to John chapter 14. You guys are like, what in the world is he talking about? Yeah. Give, give him a guitar. <laughs> All right, here we go. Now, before we read verse one of chapter 14, let me give you a little context. So you can, you can probably, if you have your Bible, which you guys do, because you're amazing, uh, look up in, 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 in chapter 13, you'll see that um, Jesus is talking about how he's actually gonna be betray, uh, betrayed and how times are actually gonna get kind of rough for a little bit, Right that things are about to get really bad per se. We know on this side of the crucifixion that he is foreshadowing his betrayal. He is foreshadowing his arrest, right? These things leading to uh, the crucifixion. And he's saying, what's gonna happen over the next 24 hours, it's gonna be pretty bad. And I think it's worse than you guys actually think that it is, talking to his disciples. And then he picks up in uh, chapter 14, verse one, and he starts with this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the very first thing he says, right after saying, hey, there's gonna be some things that are coming that aren't great. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt worried or troubled? Have you ever felt anxious? Right? Jesus, what we call the Prince of Peace, addresses it head on and says, do not be troubled, but believe in me. You believe in God, believe in me. Again, saying that he's equal to the Father, right? You ever think about how these men were living life with Jesus every single day and yet Jesus said to remind them to one, believe in him, which he was right there, right? In the flesh. Crazy, right? And not to be troubled, I think back to the story when they're all in the boat. You remember that story And the storm comes? And they're all freaking out. They're all running around like, oh my gosh, Jesus, wake up, wake up, wake up because he was taking a nap, right? In the little belly of the boat thing. They had to wake him up. They wake him up. There's a storm coming. He comes out and he speaks to the storm and everything's calm. That, my only question is when I look back is, yeah, I know that's me and I know that I do that. And I know, I know that there's storms all the time. I know better than the, you know, the disciples, but do you really think God and the, and the person of Jesus would have allowed himself to die on a boat in a storm? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I would have sat in the rain of the boat thinking, all right, well, it might get bad and it might get ugly, but surely Jesus isn't gonna let us all go down. I mean, he's in the ship, right? Anyway, but, we, but, but do you ever feel like that? Like you're so close to Jesus and yet he has to remind you over and over and over again, don't be troubled, don't worry, don't have anxiety, right? That's why Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, about anything but in prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds forever in Christ Jesus. It's why Jesus tells us here in John 14:1, do not let your hearts be troubled. And maybe just for icing on the cake, God tells Joshua in the first chapter of Joshua 1, 9, he had just taken over from Moses, he's gonna lead these people into the promised land. He says, do not be discouraged or dismayed. I read somewhere that God tells us either not to be afraid or be worried 365 times in the Bible, almost to say, here's one for every single day. Don't be worried. And yet, and yet, we live in a day and age. This is crazy, listen to this. We live in a day and age where Boston University says that 32.8% of Americans struggle with clinical depression accompanied with some kind of, what they say is crippling anxiety. That's crazy, right? A third of people, And I'm not saying you're broken, I'm not saying that anything's wrong in that regard, but something is wrong, right? The Anxiety and Depression Association of America, which that's a thing, says that nearly 20% of people in the US every year have or will develop some kind of anxiety disorder. One in five. Approximately 7 million people have what's called panic disorder. And of that 7 million people, twice of those people are women. 20 million Americans, which is about 9%, have specific phobias, which is defined as an excessive or irrational fear reaction. Like beyond just like I'm scared of spiders, like there's an irrational fear or fear reaction. An estimated 12 to 15% of Americans are on regular antidepressants. In a 2020 survey, 62% of people say that they daily live in some version of fear or worry. 62% of people. 62% of people say that they regularly live in a place of fear or worry for, I don't know, for what's going to happen, the future, the past, what you have to walk through every day. 62% of people. Is that number not staggering? And yet Jesus, the endless source of peace and sustenance for the human soul, tells us in, in John 14, verse 1, the very, very first words, do not be discouraged, do not be troubled, do not worry, do not be dismayed, do not have anxiety, right? And maybe if we're talking about thought crimes, I think I said that earlier, do you think it has anything to do with the fact that we live in one of the most post-Christendom eras in all of creation? Post-Christendom meaning that people could care, couldn't care less about the words of a man who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, who claims to be the source of peace for our troubled soul. Oh, Jesus, help us. Let's keep reading. Jesus continues. <clears throat> he said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place or you know the way to the place where I am. I'm going. So let's just recap real quick. Jesus starts and he says, do not be troubled. He says, do not be dismayed, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. then he says, in light of that, right? I, I am going and there is a place that is being prepared for you in my father's house. Again, we started with the Trinity because Jesus is the son, right? God is father, right? But they are one together. And he is going and he's preparing a place for you in his father's house. Now I get that there are probably some uh, broken and fragile relationships or implications in this room and we discuss fathers or the father's house. And I get that. And maybe to bring up even some more stats when I was doing some studying. Do you know that in 2018, the fatherlessness rate in this country alone was right around 30% and during COVID, it almost went to 50. Because the Family Research Council said that when they, when they were interviewing families or trying to study families and fathers, they found that fathers could not stand to be in the house with their wife and kids during the shutdown. Isn't that wild? And it's sad and it's tragic. But church, listen to me very clearly. God is not your earthly father, no matter how good or how broken he is. He's not. God is good, like we talked about last week. And he's generous and he is a good father. And if you don't hear anything else, I want you to know that though your perspective of God is wildly shaped by your father, God is not your father. And I pray every single day, God, I pray that I could be the greatest best father for my kids, but I know me, I'm me, my wife knows me, I am me, I am weak, and I'm definitely not God, right? But something as small as this, for example, when we moved back from Costa Rica, we were living in eight different houses, I think, over the course of a year, because we didn't know if we were going to go back to Costa and serve at the church, we didn't really know what was going on, like we weren't, you know, you weren't allowed to leave your house, remember that crazy season? Thank God we live in Florida. Um, Now, on this side of everything, But but do you remember that? Our kids were so young. They were, you know, two and maybe six months old. Mac was maybe almost a year old. And something that Dakota, God bless her, told me over and over again, is she said, our kids are going to remember home when we're together. They're not just going to remember a building. Remember eight different houses? And something we try try to, you know, we always try to tell our kids, it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Home is when we're together, right? And fear and anxiety and worry, those things don't have to exist in our home doesn't matter what building we're in doesn't matter what house we're in but i know that even even in that i'm weak and i'm not god but if i can point my kids to him maybe there's hope right Amen. and maybe you can too anyway but god and jesus says that the father is in eternity preparing a place for you to dwell all your days that's good news right That is good news, that if you have placed your trust in Jesus, he is preparing a place for you. And there is plenty of room there, and there's plenty of space there. And in that place, I believe, I believe that worry, anxiety, fatherlessness, phobias, fear, all those things, they won't exist there. They will not exist there. And in the context of the scripture, Jesus is saying, don't be worried. This is what you have to look forward to. That what's happening over the next 24 hours might be bad, but what's gonna happen over the next 24 centuries is way greater than anything you could ever imagine. It's way greater than anything that would happen on this earth. And that is good news. Let's keep reading. "'Thomas said to him, "'Lord, we do not know where you are going, "'so how can we know the way?' "'Jesus answered, "'I am the way, the truth, and the life. "'No one comes to the Father except through me.'" If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You guys track him with what he just said? He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. I'm the doorway, I am the access point. I am the gate in order to get to the father. But he takes it even a step further and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus establishes right here with no like, you you can't twist the words here to try to get something else. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he's saying, and I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Again, that's why we open with the Trinity, establishing this co-equal, co-eternal relationship between Jesus, the, the son of God and God, the father, together as one. When Jesus came to earth, he was saying, Look, you have now seen God and he's good and he's loving and he's kind, right? Jesus is not just the son of God, Jesus is God, the son. Do you see, do you see the, the, the nuance there? Jesus is equal to the father, which means when you know him, you know his ways, you know his heart, and in turn, you know God. Meaning when we saw Jesus walk through or walk all over this earth and we, and we read through scripture that when he heals blind people and he sits with the sinners, that's God's heart towards you. I mentioned that term earlier, post-Christendom, remember that, right? It's a pretty, pretty churchy term for just the fact that we live in an era where people don't really, they don't necessarily love church, maybe, is a way to say it, maybe they don't, maybe they're sort of apathetic towards the Bible in and of itself, the word of God, right? Um, Especially kind of here in Jacksonville, right? I mean, we're living in a day and age where people are overwhelmingly uninterested with the reality that Jesus is the son of God and that the church is the primary avenue by which we worship together to God. And in Jack's speech especially, what I mean is like, have you, you know, we all know those people who are like, I've just, I'm not super religious, you know, those people, but like the church is my, is, or the, 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 the beach is my church. You've heard know those people like, oh, I just go to the beach on Sundays and that's my church. Well, I'm really glad that's your church and I love you, but, but, like the, but like the beach isn't the church. And I look, I love the beach and like, I feel closer to God usually at the beach than almost anywhere else, right? There's just something about the, the vast like beauty of the beach, but it's not the church, right? And also, like, maybe to take things even a step further, there's also, according to this scripture, there's also only one way to the Father. There are not many ways to heaven. I'm sure that would be our preference. There are not multiple different religions that you can believe in or trust in or do, you know, lapse until you reach nirvana or do enough yoga to save your soul or... There's one way to the Father. And some people say, man, that's really narrow. I say, yeah, it's very narrow. Like it's, like it's pretty, it's actually pretty straightforward. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus makes seven I am statements. in John, this is the one that I think people would maybe not like as much as I am the bread of life. We don't mind that one. But I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in a, in a day and age where we like to pervert truth, or call it my truth, or your truth, or their truth, or you can do this, or you can be that, and still have this, or you can be that gender, or you can be this, whatever, you can do that. Like, like there's, an, there's an all-out war on truth, is there not? Yeah. Every media outlet, every newspaper, every school board, there is an all-out war on truth. And Jesus is saying, amidst all that, I am the truth. Yeah. And we live in this hyper-racialized, hyper-politicized, Day and age, where everyone wants to claim that they have the barometer on what truth is, the truth isn't a donkey. The truth isn't an elephant. Meaning, it's not Republican or Democrat. I'll just say it pretty straight up, right? The truth isn't the truth. The, tr- the, the truth isn't any one person outside of Jesus. It isn't any one thing or belief or idea or ideology. And I know. This is, this is a hard reality to grasp because we come up, we, 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 we run into these walls of our preference. I would prefer there would be other ways to God. I would like to believe that. But Jesus says, I am the way. I would like to believe there are other truths that exist in the world. But Jesus says, I am the truth. I would like to believe we could have life in any other way. But he says it pretty straightforward. And hermeneutics can't get you out of this one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And and it's narrow, like we said, but it's actually good news. Do you know why? Because in the person of Jesus, the identity of God shows us the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is that God came in the person of Jesus. He came to earth to mend a previously broken relationship that was there because of sin, because of transgression. He lived a perfect life, was then crucified on a cross as the perfect and final sacrifice for that sin and transgression. And all we have to do to be made right with God, the creator of the universe, the good, generous, loving, holy, merciful, forgiving God as we have to believe, that's the good news. That all we have to do, we don't have to strive harder, We don't have to climb the mountain. We have to believe, right? Jesus is the way to God. He is the only way to God because he is the only payment that satisfied the sin that we racked up. Our sin tab was pretty great and he was the only one that could meet that payment. He is the truth in a world where we're inclined to add pronouns to the truth. He is the truth and he is the life. I'm gonna ask the worship team to go ahead and come back up. I just wanna ask you this morning a simple question. Is that, have 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 you trusted him? Paul tells us that all we have to do is believe in our hearts and then confess with our mouth that Jesus is the son of God and that God raised him from the dead on your behalf. And when he did all of that, that it counted for you. Do you believe him? Someone told me once, they said, the gospel in four words, three words, two words, in one word. In four words, Jesus took my place. In three words, him for me. In two words, substitutionary atonement. And in one word, grace. Grace. Grace is good news, amen. And the grace of God is available for us today. When we look at, 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 at passages like verse six, I am the way, the truth, the life, he's saying, I'm not just the way that you have to come and earn, because you don't have to earn it. Grace is a free gift from Jesus to us. And that grace is here for you today. It's here for, for me. It has been consistently there for me. God offers his grace to you as a free gift. You couldn't earn it in a thousand eternities. And yet Jesus saw it fit to sacrifice himself that we might experience that grace and that forgiveness. If that's you today, I wanna pray with you. Go ahead and bow your heads all across the room. And look, it's a big scripture to say that it's so narrow to get to the Father, but I would implore you, come with your doubts, come with your worries, come with your anxieties, come with your issues, come with the things that you disagree with and just bring it before Jesus full of grace, full of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if today you're choosing to trust him, I want you to join with me and pray this prayer in your heart. Jesus, I'm yours. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I come to you now and repent, Jesus. I repent of the times I've sinned against you and thank you for your grace that has pulled me close. I confess, Jesus, that you are Lord. I believe that when you died on that cross, it counted for me. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Help me walk in step with God. Help me know your ways, God. Help me know your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I also know in a room this size, when we talk about anxiety, when we talk about worry, those are real issues are real 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 issues and I would encourage you as we close in a time of worship if you need prayer our elders can be down here and pray for you in a heartbeat if you need to worship and find that melody and song and praise in the Lord has a unique way of lifting anxiety and burden off your shoulders you ever felt that then worship with us but I wanna pray a specific prayer over you, Ephesians 1, 17 19. It's an apostolic prayer that Paul writes in the first chapter of Ephesians. Go ahead and close your eyes when you think about these words. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, him being Jesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in you, his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Jesus, we wanna know you better, God, but we need your help. Help us, Lord. Help us, God. We pray for increase in our lives Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us anew this morning. Help us see Jesus clear. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, fill us afresh. We thank you that in the person and in the work of Jesus, you showed us ultimate forgiveness, ultimate love. That greater love has no one than this, that you would lay down your life for your friends. God, I pray that you would give us an enlightened or heightened sense of gratitude this morning. That we might be thankful for the work that Jesus did on our behalf. Jesus, we love you. We thank you.